This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined as ever by David Hughes for our Q&A special. It's long overdue, Dave. It is, yeah. It's been a while, hasn't it? The football's been so frantic this season that we haven't really had any of these uh, these breaks. Well, it felt like for a long time, but here we are. Yeah, uh, I sent out a newsletter on Monday asking for questions to be sent in. Also put it in the Blood Red Facebook group and stuff, so we've had quite a few in. Um, we're going to do our best to get through them all in this episode. We're going to get through it quite quickly. Those that we can answer with one word, you know, we're going to try and do that so that we can answer every question. Uh, before we start, I'd like to flag um, thank you to the, the roughly 4,000 people who reminded me last week after the podcast that Liverpool, in fact, needed, that Leipzig, in fact, needed three goals to get through if Liverpool scored in the Champions League, not the four that I actually said. Um, so, yeah, I'm allowed that one mistake. Um, I think half the country ended up contacting me, but yeah, we'll move on anyway. So, in terms of questions, Dave, mm. I think we'll start with the questions that are kind of joint that we, that we can both answer because we've, we've took one each just so that we can get through all of them. Um, so, first of all, I'll start with the question. So, hypothetically, this is from Joe Calvary. So, hypothetically, um, if Liverpool's still in the Champions League, enough money and all that to do this. Haaland or Mbappe in the summer? <laughs> Which is the better fit for Liverpool? Who would make more sense? Cost? Who's the better prospect? Who'd fit the Premier League better? I'll let you go first. So let me just put my glasses on here. <laughs> um, I mean, you'd take either, really, wouldn't you? Um, I think... Mbappe, in terms of you know the, the kind of quality shows uh, running behind on the ball, his skill and things is, is really appealing. Uh, but Haaland's just an out, out and out goal scorer, isn't he? I think he's uh, he's the type of player that if you create chances, he'll convert at a, at a really high rate, uh, and that looks like it's going to be something that's going to be sustainable throughout his career. So. I'd probably personally, Josh, lead more towards Haaland. Um, I know there may be a few question marks about um, the system and how it would suit him, but I just, although I really like Mbappe, I feel like he's the type of player who really punishes teams on on the break when he's got space to to run into to get him behind, and and obviously that doesn't really happen for for Liverpool these days. Teams just want to sit in. Um, give them very little, very little room to to attack, and for that reason, I think it might suit Harlem a little bit better. I haven't actually really answered this one. I don't really think I can. I feel like both, to an extent, suit Liverpool, but for different reasons. I don't think either would encounter any kind of issues in English football in the Premier League, really, eh, with the exception of obviously the space that's afforded. Um, I think Harlem would probably be cheaper. Uh, in terms of transfer fee and wages. I must admit, up, and, up until this point, I've probably been in the Mbappe camp more. I think I still very slightly am, just because I think he offers more of an all-round game. I think he's more versatile and stuff. 
could play across the front three. Haaland would have to be a fixed striker, but having said that, he's a he's a freak, really, isn't he? I mean, he's, I've not I've not actually seen a player like him with his profile the way he is. And you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of in an athletic sense. You remember when Usain Bolt came on the scene and he just kind of didn't fit the the, the appearance of a hundred meter sprinter with mm. his height and his, and his, his stride and stuff like that. It, it, Haaland looks a bit like that. He just looks like a, an experiment. Um, and he's, he's clearly finishing to an absolutely ridiculous level at the minute. Absolute cold, absolutely freezing in front of the goal in terms of just putting the ball on the back of the net without phasing him and stuff. I'd like to see how his career is going to pan out because he's well ahead of a lot of the top talent so far at his current age. Uh, but yeah, I don't really feel like I can answer that one, to be honest, in terms of picking one, but they are both ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the next question, Dave, mm-hmm. from Larkin Hogel, my next my question is, how should we LFC fans judge success? It seems that the financial imbalances will always make football difficult sport to judge, and the richest are always near the top. Thoughts, Dave? Uh, I'll try and keep it brief, but uh, I think that's a really tough question to answer. It is answer it is quite relative, isn't it? But um, I, I wouldn't say I understand the points he's trying to make that you know Liverpool are kind of almost you know. Uh, starting on the back foot a little bit financially compared to some of these other super sides that they're, they're competing with, you know, from a financial point of view. But I definitely don't think Liverpool could, as a fan base, would be satisfied with just Champions League football every year. I think in football, you, it doesn't it doesn't matter what level you're at at the time. Uh, I, I think you've got, got to always aspire for more. So, you know, the natural progression from qualifying from the Champions League is to is to then try and push to compete for the Premier League. And same if you're in the Champions League every year, you know, you want to try and progress that bit further each year and hopefully go on to reach finals and win it. You know, from a Liverpool point of view, they'd be fairly satisfied that they've done both of those things in the in the last couple of seasons. And it's it's just about building on that. I think I think that's what be the success, you know, maintaining uh the position as as challenges for those two competitions. Yeah, I think for me, <clears throat> I've referenced a few times on this podcast that I think Liverpool should be at the top of the food chain when it comes to European football and stuff. So, But for me, I think when it comes to, to judging success for Liverpool, Liverpool just have to be a team that wins a lot <laughs> in terms of matches. Um, not strictly silverware, but just a team that wins a lot of the time, consistently competing for the two big honours, in my opinion, which are the Premier League and the Champions League. And I don't I don't just mean entering, I mean competing at the top of... Obviously, Arsenal, for example, were competing for... We're in the Champions League for so many consecutive seasons <clears throat> under Arsene Wenger. But the, apart from one time, really, they never really got close to winning it. I think Liverpool just needs to be in and around where they have been in terms of competing for the two major honours. Obviously, it's nice to win it and you can judge based on silverware if you want, but there's, there's so many just fine lines that that can stop you from winning the actual silverware, but you might showcase enough to be two points off or, you know, in the final and you'll just lose as a result of a penalty or so. So I think just, just winning on a consistent basis for me is, is enough to judge success for the most part. I think that's one of the reasons I look at Pochettino and think he's really good 
some people are inclined to look at the fact that he's never won a trophy or didn't set spares at least. But for me, he was he achieved what is required to deliver silverware, and that is just winning on a consistent basis and dominating your opponents on a consistent basis. And I think that is for me how I'm going to judge Liverpool moving forward. Mm. Uh, question from Katie Francis. So, do you think the FSG model should be reconsidered as success is not sustainable under the current model? Concerns raised given LFC's ongoing low net, net spend. This is a popular one, really, Dave, isn't it? I mean, the net spend, the net spend talk, FSG talk and stuff. So, mm. thoughts? I mean, you know, can it be reconsidered? You know, are, are FSG, whilst very wealthy, are they in a position to, you know, to start spending 100, 200 million per year um, on transfers and things? I'm, I'm not sure they are. I know Liverpool are now financially much better off and could probably compete more financially with the likes of City to an extent. But I think, you know, the reason FSG have got this model in place and they've been successful... Uh, doing it in, if you know, different like franchises and different sports is because um, it works for them and it and it's sustainable. Uh, I don't think it'd be sustainable if they were to change it. I don't think they could afford to to start kind of you know keeping up with with your Chelsea's and Manchester City's. It's it's a sensitive topic, I think, but I don't actually think net spend is that big of an issue, providing you're buying good players. Providing you've got a good squad, if you have a good squad, but you've got a positive net spend, all that means really is that you you're good at buying low and selling high. That's that's kind of all it all it means as long as the players at the at the squad, at the club, sorry, are good. And I think Liverpool's Liverpool squad is currently really really good. Liverpool have obviously got a lower net spend than a lot of clubs, but if you look at the starting eleven in particular, there's not many players I think across the league that would get in Liverpool's strongest 11. And that's testament to the recruitment at the club. Mm, um, just, go on. So I was going to say, I think the frustration comes in though, doesn't it, when we talk about, that someone's actually specifically asked this, I don't know, we'll reference it, so I'll, I don't want to answer too much, but like the talk is, you know, we're talking about Mbappe here, but I think those kind of players are often ruled out before it even gets going, whereas Liverpool would be an appealing destination, wouldn't it, for, for these players. But, there isn't that financial incentive there uh, in terms of the wages offers or, you know, for the club where they're at to, to actually accept any offers from Liverpool. And I can understand that frustration, but then sometimes that makes you work smarter. You know, look at Real Madrid and Barcelona. Look at how they've turned out these last few years. You know, Real Madrid bought Hazard, uh, paid a lot of money for him. And it just, you know, he's, he spent a lot of time injured, bit of a flop there. It, you know, it, it's not always guaranteed success, is it? No, that's it. I think uh, one thing I've always had admiration for from an FSG perspective is that they are owners that have run Liverpool above all like a sports institution. And I think a lot of owners out there run their football club like um, like a business. And FSG still have the business side there. But there's always been that kind of getting ahead of the curve in a sporting sense and Liverpool have done stuff over the years that's been quite unconventional in a sporting sense and that's because of the thinking. You know, John Henry was was a man behind Liverpool's early desire to really chase the data revolution and stuff like that and other clubs, other owners 
haven't really thought that way. They haven't really got that expertise. John Henry and FSG have. And I think Liverpool have gained an edge through that. Um, the big thing with FSG, I think it's it's going to be a bit of an acid test once Klopp leaves. I think there's a heavily, heavy reliance for the model on Klopp's shoulders because of Klopp's ability to take what is a, essentially a rough diamond of a player and transform him into a world-class talent. Klopp's done that, you know, regularly with different players. Mane, Salah, you know, loads of these players who've, who've just made that step up at Liverpool. Um, but Liverpool obviously buying those players before they've made that step up. The big test is going to be whoever we replace Klopp with is the next man in, in the hot seat going to be able to have that transformational effect on potential like Klopp has. Um, but we'll move on anyway to the next question. So this one is... <laughs> this one was a clever one, I thought. From Alex Harbour. Uh, one for you and Dave may cause some friction. What would be your combined Merseyside 11? <laughs> um, but he's made it interesting by saying based on this season's performances. So, uh, Dave, go on. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, I think the I think the keeper thing, uh, Alison's still there. Although I will say Pickford's been a very I know he's a bit of a swear word on this podcast, but he's actually been really you know performing well since the turn of the year. But I think obviously Alison takes that. Um, right back's interesting because Trent hasn't had a good good season by his standards, but Evan haven't got a good right back at all. Uh, Coleman's been fantastic, but obviously he's he's, he's past his best now, so he, he takes it for me. Any complaints with either of those two, by the way? So you've got Allison Trent, yeah, yeah, same here. I've got yeah, the same profile. Okay. Centre backs is uh, is interesting. Um, mm, I've got here. I've got Keane and Godfrey. Have you put them both in? I wasn't yeah, sure. I wasn't sure if you answer. I don't feel like I could pick anyone else. I mean, there's not, they've barely played. Matip has got a bit of a stronger shout, I suppose, because he played up until Christmas and he probably would be in there based on his performance because he was largely flawless. But he's just been unavailable and stuff. So, yeah, at least with Everton, they've been playing every game all season. Yeah, Keane and Godfrey have been really good, but I thought you were going to try and make a case for Fabinho, you know? No, but, he's, uh... in, he's in my midfield. <laughs> right, OK. Um, left back. This is going to be controversial, but I am going with Luca Dean. I've watched a lot okay. of him this year, and he's been he's been phenomenal. I'm going to go with Robertson. Uh, I thought I thought up until Christmas, in particular, Robertson was up there with Liverpool's best players. He's tailed off a little bit since. Mm. I think this would have been an open one for Dean to take because Robertson hasn't been that great. But I don't actually think Dean's been good enough to take that spot ahead of him. I think he's just been. All right for me. I mean, you've <sighs> obviously watched more of him than I have, but mm. I've had him in my fantasy a little bit. He hasn't done much. <laughs> yeah, that's because he's uh, he's playing in, in that defence. But uh, I mean, we're saying that about the defence, but we've got three Everton. Well, no, I've got three Everton players in there. Uh, you've got two, but it hasn't felt that great at times. What formation are we playing here? So I've I've gone four three three. Right. Okay. Uh, we're on, we're onto the midfield now. Okay. Midfield is definitely one of Everton's worst positions. So I'd, I'd go with if Fabinho's playing, I'd put Fabinho in there. Henderson, Henderson has to go in. <laughs> now, this is a tough one, this last one here. 
because there's one Everton, there is one Everton midfielder who I think is 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 a bit little bit lacking in tech technical ability, but he's just got such an engine that brings a lot to the team. And that's the core, eh? It's just where mm. they get in against any, over over anyone else. For example, Wine Alden. Go on. I've I've gone Fabinho, Henderson, Wine Alden. Personally, mm. I, don't, I, I don't really think there's a. Any need to overthink that one? I think Wayne Alden's been ridiculously consistent throughout the season. Hasn't been injured. Henderson's obviously integral, in very important. And Fabinho, there's no argument for Fabinho in my opinion. Like so, what um, what I was going to say with on on the on um Wayne Alden just before you said that then was uh, I just think he's you know he, he doesn't quite get the headlines, does he? But he, he he's just such a good player. Um, so. I'm desperate to get an Everton player in, but I don't think I can. Uh, I'll save it for the fo- when we get to the forwards. <laughs> so the front three then? Um, Salah stays in for me. Um, Calvert-Lewin goes through the middle. Where do you stand on those two first? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, and then the left. Yeah, even though he's gone off the boil big time, I think... You know, he's in a real cold streak. I think Mane just about holds on. Uh, just because, although Richarlison's come alive the last few few weeks, it wasn't that long ago me and you were talking about him having quite a, quite a poor campaign by his standards. So I'm going to hold on to Mane. Uh, a Jota might have been in there if he was, if he was fifth or longer. See, I have actually gone Jota. Uh, have you? Yeah, I think, I think Mane's had a bad season. I haven't enjoyed watching Mane for... For a while now, um, mm. it's not just his finishing, his decision making in the final day has been crazy at times. So, uh, yeah, that would be I, mine. I've, I've, the only reason I've admitted Jota is I just think he hasn't played enough, but I think he's been, you know, arguably one of the best players when he has. Uh, but yeah, that injury ruined his flow a little bit for me. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So, next, this is from Al J. On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is it that Liverpool sign Kylian Mbappe? And if we did, do you see him taking Firmino's position? I I, I, I honestly don't see this transfer happening, to be honest. I don't want to be a party pooper like, but uh, I think he'd, he'd be tempted to come to Liverpool, no doubt. Uh, but I just don't see all the everything else that goes with the transfer happening. So I'm going to put it down to about a four. Um, yeah. I've also gone for a four. Hmm. Which is a shame, you know, from a poor point of view. It'd be lower if he if he didn't want to come. I think he'd come. I think he'd play mm. for Liverpool. But I, I think the financials behind it are insane, and I just can't see Liverpool paying it. So hence why I've gone slightly below fifty percent, slightly below flip of a coin. But I think if he did come, um, it's interesting that he's mentioned Firmino's position there because I think with Salah getting on a little bit compared to Mbappe at least, and Salah being a fixed player on the right side. He can't really play on the left, Salah. I think it'd open up the option maybe for Salah to play through the middle and Mane and Mbappe to kind of occupy the flanks and just switch, consistently switch places almost, Mm. because they can both play either flank quite to a high level. So I think that's how I'd see it working. Um, Obviously, but there'd be loads of different options you could explore if you get Mbappe in, but... Anyway, we're getting too many questions, I think, on that side of things. We don't want to uh, get people's hopes up. Yeah, you'll be seeing um, something on the uh, 
on on msn.com or something where, where it'll be us talking about uh two Liverpool rises uh linking mbappe to, to liverpool which does happen yeah. by the way <laughs> yeah so the next question i should have started with this this is probably my favorite question of the whole lot uh so it's from andrew moffat and he says you guys always start off talking about haircuts so bench one start one and sell one Mohamed Salah's afro <laughs> Sadio Mane's blonde streak or Virgil's man bun <laughs> go on Dave <laughs> I'll let you start I feel like you it's a good week for you because you've had your DIY haircut it's still a little <laughs> bit uh, yeah it's still a little bit sensitive for me with mine but uh, uh, right we're definitely selling Sadio's blonde streak not enough for me that uh, Virgil Virgil's man bun, he definitely pulls it off, but again, you know, I'm not sure I've got the uh, the, the hair to pull that one off. So uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Mo's Afro to start. So to confirm Mo's Afro to start, Virgil's on the bench as man bun, and uh, yeah, we're getting rid of Sadio's Sadio's bronze streak. I'm gonna start Virgil's bun. Uh, <laughs> simply because I think it's it's just alpha the way the way you kind of um where is it? I don't know. There's something about it that just just screams alpha to me. Uh, bench and Salah's afro, and I think Mane's he's got to be sold simply because he's it's kind of receding a little bit, isn't he? He's hanging on to that. Yeah, <laughs> he's been hanging on for a while, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's one of my fears. I'd hate to go bald personally. So yeah. Um, next, James Ryan. Uh, if reports true. Which forward player from Rafinha, Harvey Barnes, or Pedro Neto do you think Liverpool should go for this summer? Hmm. Good question. I, uh, yeah, it is. I ended up just obviously I'm conscious of time as well. I ended up just ranking these and what my kind of priority uh, on mine would be Neto, Rafinha, uh, and then Barnes. I like you know I like all three players, uh, but I just think Neto's the youngest. He's, he's got the you know the highest ceiling. Um, and he just looks like a, a, a Liverpool player for me. Just the, the way he kind of works off the ball and the stuff he does on the ball. I think he's a really good, really good player. Yeah, it's interesting that because mine's different. Uh, I haven't oh, actually, on. I haven't actually ordered them. But if I could take one of those players to Liverpool this summer, it would be it would be Barnes. Um, oh. I rate him really highly. I think he's really, really good. And I think he, oh, oh, I think oh, oh, on top of that, though, I think all three. Would, would suit Liverpool. All three are really good players. All three mm. could do a job and probably improve under Klopp. But yeah, if I could pick one of the three, it'd probably be Barnes for me. Mm. Um, this is we're still on the uh, the joint questions here, by the way, Dave. Yeah, uh, no, we're gonna have to start. If, if to you know, people don't be offended if you get a quick answer because we've got so many questions to get through. Um, so this one from Alex H. Tough one is if if Klopp was to leave Liverpool this summer, who would be your first choice replacement? I did think about this briefly, and I'm I'm just going to go with the, the the obvious answer. And I reckon tonight, when I'm thinking about the podcast, I'll be kicking myself thinking it. You know, I would have liked to looked a little bit uh, a little bit Indian, you know, come up with someone a little bit hipster. Uh, but I'm, I think Nagelsmann is the, the obvious candidate. Yeah, that's that's what I've said. I think. Mm. Specifically this summer, that's the question. The question is if he was to leave this summer, and I think, you know, with me saying quite a lot now about Liverpool acting like an alpha club and 
sitting on a big boys table and stuff like that. There's no need really for Liverpool to take much of a chance. And I think Liverpool should be going and getting the most qualified coach for this sort of thing. And obviously looking beyond the very qualified coaches like, you know, Sam Allardyce and, and coaches like that. I think someone who's very qualified but still applies from a Liverpool perspective would be Nilesman. Mm-hmm. Um Marco Rose's of incest to me. Jesse March is of incest. I think Steven Gerrard's doing really well. There's plenty of names out there, but I think if it was this summer, I'd just go and get Nagelsmann, I think. Um, so next, next question is from Richard Bow, and there's a lot of talk about Liverpool buying a number nine over the summer. Who are yours and David's? He's, he's asked for top three, but I'm not going to do top three because we'll We'll be here all night. Mm. If you, if you could pick a nine, David, based on this summer, uh, based on this season, sorry, who, who are you saying? Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think there's a few names, and I've just tried to come come up with a different one beyond like the obvious Harland and stuff. And uh, you know, and although I haven't scouted them a ton, I know Alexander Isaac's doing some nice stuff at Sociedad. Uh, no, he was at Dortmund originally, wasn't he? Um, He's you know scoring a lot of goals, got some good underlying numbers. Um, you know, for Sociedad, he's playing in a four-three-three. His profile's different to Firmino's. He's I think he's about six-four, uh, Swedish. But you know, he's a player that seems to be doing some some good stuff. He's only twenty-one as well. Looks to have a big career ahead of him. So, so maybe he could be something a little bit different uh, and a and an option. Yeah, for me on that one, I I I prefer Liverpool to buy to buy forwards as opposed to strikers. I think strikers are fixed in place and a bit more predictable and stuff like that. I think you only buy a striker if you're buying a really good striker, like a Haaland or, you know, an old Klopp in the past to work with Lewandowski and players like that. But I prefer Liverpool to buy forwards like Jota and Mane and Salah and players like that. But one one striker who has took me attention this season is uh, Andre Silva at uh, Frankfurt. Scored plenty of goals and Still only 23, I think, Portuguese. Obviously, he was at AC Milan. Didn't really work out too well. I'm not sure if he's been sold to Frankfurt. I think he has. I think it was quite cheap as well. But he's having a good season. He's having a season a little bit like Salah was having before Liverpool signed him, whereby he's posting really good numbers, but no one's really talking much about him. So, yeah, I want to keep an eye on after the summer. Andre Silva, but we'll move on anyway, Dave, to the individual questions now. So, we'll go one each. We'll start with you. Yeah, okay. I've got uh, Tyler Shield, who's been in touch. Um, obviously, Thiago has yet to have much of an impact, certainly as much as we'd have hoped. But I'm getting really tired of this lazy narrative that he slows play down. Um, he he name-checks Roy Keane as one of the reasons for that narrative. Uh, whenever I see him on the ball, um, I genu- generally believe that he's trying to move us forward uh, and make some positive moves. Are there any specific statistics or data that we're aware of that could kind of quantify this? Um, no, really briefly, I can't understand what he's trying to say. Um, he probably hasn't had the impact many of hope, but there's been a lot of mitigated, uh, mitigating circumstances. Um, but, you know, one quick number, in the Liverpool side this season on a per 90 basis, uh, only Trent has attempted more progressive passes per 90 minutes. Um, Trent's 9.19 per 90 Thiago 8.56 if you think about obviously Trent where he, where he is positionally you know, he's at right back he's got a lot of pitch ahead of him 
uh, you know, lots of space to play these balls into. Thiago's in the centre. You know, it's not always as easy. So I think that's that's quite positively reflective on him, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so for me, I've got a question from Lee Connor. Um, is a front three of Mane, Jota and Salah good enough for next season's title contenders? Or do we need a Haaland and Mbappe type? I think for me, probably in between. I don't think we need an Mbappe or Haaland to win the league again or to contest at the top or whatever. But I do think we could do at least one more attacking addition in the mould of, of a Jota. Um, simply, I know Shaqiri's been in and around offering an option. But I think specifically, you know, Minamino, Ari, they're just not really good enough to have any kind of impact. And Liverpool above Enton, really, I think we'll want to avoid Enton like this kind of barren scoring run ever again. You know, and, and one of the ways you can avoid that is just by having a Manchester City, Chelsea type bench in terms of just being able to bring on like a Pulisic or a Foden or a Mares. Liverpool have had that a little bit with Jota and Shaqiri, but I think one more. Would would allow Liverpool to contest again at the top of the seat at the top of the league next season? Yeah, uh, Michael Simons, with the team needing to evolve um, or slightly change the setup, could you see Jota being used as an outside midfielder in a four-two-three-one, or is he more of a striker slash a number ten? I, I assume the outside midfielder is obviously you know kind of a wide attacker and. In that kind of attacking three, uh, you, you know the beauty is with with Jota that he can kind of do both of those roles. You know he's he's a really versatile attacker, which is what made him such a good buy. Um, so you know to answer very briefly, he, his versatility means he could do both, and that's why he's he's such a good buy. He's he's probably going to be a natural heir to one of the front three over next few seasons as they move on. But for now, he's just able to fill multiple roles really and. And open the door for some sort of like tactical changes as well. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Sha Basher has been in touch and says, Do you think Champions League qualification is going to dictate the quality and number of arrivals in the summer? Um I don't think it'll impact too much. And the reason I don't think it'll impact too much is because I think it, it will, to an extent, dictate spending. But I think Liverpool and FSG and everyone involved with the club will, will view this season as a bit of an anomaly. And um, I think the, the view will just be we don't necessarily have to be too cautious with the spending because we'll get back in the Champions League next season. Or we, sh- we should, at least, I think Liverpool will quite comfortably. Um, and I think any player interest from European players and stuff, I, th- I think the same can be said for that. I think still very clear that Liverpool have got a, an elite squad, an elite manager. They've encountered problems this season, but I don't think it'll arise next season. And Klopp's already said that any player who doesn't want to join us because of an on the Champions League, he doesn't want them to come anyway. So I don't think it'll impact Liverpool's summer too much. I think if we were to be out of the, the Champions League next season again, that would be a bit of a different story. But I think this time, this summer around, I do think it's it's being viewed as a bit of an anomaly and I don't think it'll have too much of an impact, personally. Patrick Foley, could Roberto Firmino be dropped back into midfield to play the Wijnaldum role uh, when Genie does leave in the summer? 
Obviously, he's got to his game passing, press resistance, strength on the ball, and these seem like trans- transferable qualities, but his poor finishing wouldn't be detrimental. Um, I can kind of see what you're saying, but not for me. I, I, I still think Firmino would be too lightweight for that role. Um, you know, in terms of like actual you know, defensive duels and stuff. I think he I think he'd struggle a little bit. I understand what you're saying with the with the pressing, but I think he would struggle. And I think you've got to consider, you know, you'll also battle for stuff like aerial duels as well. Uh and I, I don't think Firmino is particularly great in the air. I know he's he scored some good headed goals, but I'm talking about just competing to win headers. Um yeah, not for me. I I think he'd just be a little bit too little bit too lightweight and I think he's better um, actually in possession a little bit higher up the pitch So Paul O'Sullivan has been in touch and says my question is can this team be held together if we don't have European football next season again similar to my last answer I don't really see any issues regarding losing players, Um, I do think it's being treated as an anomaly but even if it wasn't treated as an anomaly and even if say for example Salah wants to leave there's no bias in the market, you know, not no one can really, no one would really be able to afford Salah. You know, if you look at Barcelona and Real Madrid, they're both completely skint. Um, and for for the listeners outside of Liverpool who don't know what skint means, you know, they haven't really got any money. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Um, both in debt heavily, and we're not going to sell any of these players to teams from England. Bayern Munich don't tend to buy particularly big, and they've already got. Plenty of their attacking positions in place already. And you're only really looking at PSG left. And, you know, PSG have already got Neymar on the books, already got Mbappe. So I don't think there's there's any real room at the minute, specifically this summer coming up, for for big transfers to be made. I think that's it's probably going to be a quiet one in that respect, unless Mbappe or Haaland move. And I, I personally can't really see it unless something happens. Just uh, just on that, not that we need any more questions, um, but <laughs> I do wonder on that because I thought about this, uh, I spoke about it recently. I do wonder, you know, if FSG were kind of banking on selling one of the front three to, to one of those super clubs and, you know, getting a kind of Coutinho transfer fee into to fund, you know, the next almost squad evolution or the, the next players coming in, the next, the next batch. And if that's cocked up the plans a little bit because I agree I don't think those usual suspects will be able to afford any of the front three or you know pay like 150 million for Salah which you know we were probably expecting maybe a year or two ago Um, you know just a sad point I think it's interesting yeah I've I've thought for for a while it's going to be really interesting to see what Liverpool's Liverpool as a club do with with you know, the infamous front three as they get older. Because Liverpool's mm. recruitment, I think, in the past few years, is it's just done different things to what other clubs, specifically in England, have done. And they've kind of been a little bit of a step ahead. And I think, apart from not replacing Dejan Lovren last summer, that's the only kind of risk that's actually come back to sting Liverpool. You know, selling Coutinho has worked out perfectly. Waiting for six months before signing Van Dijk has worked out perfectly. And, you know, Everton really getting Salah back, despite the fact that he was perceived as failing in England. Everton's work, so whatever FSG and, and the club do in reference to the front three, I'll believe is probably the best option because they know better than I do. But it's going to be interesting to see if 
if they just keep them round and let them regress, or if they want to sell them, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think you're spot on. Alan Doyle, every time Liverpool kick off, they launch it long from the right side, centre-back to Mane. Why? It seems like they don't get any advantage over building from the back. Um, what I would say, Alan, is if you if you watch virtually any football match, every single team does this. Uh, I, I couldn't actually think of the top of my head that one team, one team that doesn't. I'm I'm not a hundred percent why. I can't, go on. Just on that, I think I noticed last week. Funny enough, for some reason Chelsea don't under Tuchel. I think it was mm. Chelsea. Um, maybe they just want to circulate the ball from the start. Yeah. But... I was about to say that if there's one team, wouldn't maybe be Chelsea with their kind of focus on ball retention. But um, yeah, the main reason is just to, you know, it 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 kind of seems like it's a little bit of a risk to to maybe turn over possession deep inside your own half so early on in the game. Whereas obviously, if you're pumping it forward straight away, you're going into the opposition's territory. It's gone out for a throw, so you can pin them in. You know, be fairly decent at throws as well, which Liverpool are both uh, their own throws and defending them. Then you know, it, it's it's an opportunity to turn the ball over further up the pitch and just and just get settled into your shape. I think it's all just about settling into the game. You know, those first couple of minutes and not giving away cheap goals. That's my perception anyway. I don't know if you've got any other theory, Josh. No, I agree. I think it, it, it immediately allows you to attack. Really, it immediately puts you on the front foot. And the opposition on the back foot if if you immediately advance into the final third and their defences straight away having to react and having to, you know, all that sort of stuff with Liverpool going forward. So mm. it just allows Liverpool to attack from the first whistle, I suppose. Um, well, the Derby was a good example, wasn't it? Where that's what Everton did, obviously, straight from the kickoff, and they actually won a corner off Kabach. And, you know, within the first minute, you're under pressure defending the corner just from the yeah, kickoff. Exactly. So it does have its and, advantages. And before too long after that, Liverpool conceded. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's sensible ploy, I think. Um, so I've got a question from Devon Goring. Uh, hopefully I've pronounced that right. Could Curtis Jones be an option to play the Firmino role? Um, possibly. But I think, for me, Jones's qualities... I think he's quite a dynamic player. I think he's... I know he's a ball... He's definitely a ball carrier. I've tweeted certain visits. Data visits about that sort of stuff. He's one of the most, he's one of the keenest ball carriers in the league. I think he's very energetic and basically good at driving the team forward towards goal. And I think if he was to play a Firmino type role, he's obviously almost doing the opposite in terms of retreating into midfield and linking with short little passes here and there around the corner and stuff. So I think his particularly his energy and his his physical attributes, I think, are more suited to playing in a bit more of a deeper role or certainly a role that encourages running. And I'm not sure Firmino's is as much associated with that sort of stuff. Interesting question coming up here, Josh. <laughs> um, Taylor Naker says, uh, it's obvious that Klopp won't sign big names because uh, he can't handle them. No doubt he can develop world-class players. But we have also seen that he cannot control Salah or Mane. Just look at how they react when substituted. Do you feel Klopp is intimidated by big names? Um, I have to be honest and say uh, I, I disagree pretty much with, with most of that, Taylor. Um, I see what what you're trying to allude to. You're talking about you know, Salah kind of throwing us 
there's balls about and kicking his coach when he comes off. But I think we're just talking about really ultra competitive players who are, you know, not only frustrated, probably at personal performances, but frustrated that they're not on the pitch like every minute of every game. Um, but you know, if you if you kind of look at the record that both have at Liverpool under Klopp, I think it's really hard to make a case to say that um, Klopp can't handle them or get the best out of them. And if you look at Klopp's history going right back to Dortmund, you know he's had some phenomenal world-class talents playing under them uh, and he's been successful with these teams. So I do understand the point you're trying to make and there's definitely you've definitely got to manage egos now uh, and it isn't easy, but I think Klopp's arguably actually one of the better at doing it. I also just want to add on that. I actually think um, Klopp substituting the likes of Shadow and Mane on like the hour mark and things like that is, is evidence that he can control them for me because a lot of managers... If that's a big player, if that's a big personality, they would, they would shy away from making such a substitution. Um, say, for example, if you look over at Spurs, Harry Kane. Harry Kane seems to play virtually every game. He, he seems to return from injury almost when he chooses. And I think if he had a, a managerial figure above him who kind of had a degree of authority enough to say, you know, I'm not going to use you or, or you're coming off when I say sort of thing. For me, that that's leadership. For me, that's 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 control. So I don't think I, I expect any player to be happy when he comes off the field, but I certainly wouldn't put it down to, to Klopp having a lack of control. I think um, that's one thing he certainly does have for me, and if he didn't have, he, he wouldn't last long. Um, so I've got a question from James Leonard, and he says... References a video that he saw of, of Mane pressing, and he says, uh, what are our most common pressing routines? How do the front three movement facilitate them? What strategies do we employ against which type of team? So, difficult question to answer without actually actually having video to show, um, because it's 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 one of them. It's one of them that you, it's hard to write a piece about and stuff like that, because you, you kind of need live footage to, to capture your point, but I think just generally with Liverpool, you know, Liverpool tends to use the touchline, for example, when pressing, at, because the touchline is, um, you know, at, almost acts as a, an additional player, because obviously you can't progress beyond that. So, particularly if the touchline comes in handy when Liverpool are pressing high up the field, obviously you've got to make it difficult for your opponents to progress. It's the basics. You want to force them long if possible, or force them into a, an unforced error. Um, Liverpool, in a lot of games as well, tend to push possession through pressing angles, you know, if you press, say, for example, to a player's weaker foot, maybe they'll play it to the left-back, and maybe the left-back's the player that you want to receive the ball because he's the weak link. Uh, say, for example, if you're pressing Manchester United high up the field, who do you want on the ball to press into a mistake? Probably wan So you want a funnel of possession towards right-back, really. Um, and I think as well, you know, Liverpool analysed these teams beforehand, and you kind of you see how they've been pressed throughout the course of the season and you just kind of gain an understanding as to where the ball tends to go when this happens, what that player tends to do when that happens and I think specifically against teams that have been easy to predict in the past, say for example Bournemouth and to a lesser extent Brighton Liverpool have I've scored goals through a very predictable press that I think Naby Keita has been involved in a few of them where he pressed the ball off a goalkeeper distribution to say, for example, a midfielder 
ball's been won and Liverpool have scored from it and it's been quite quite easily premeditated. But Liverpool pressing Liverpool's pressing is you know, changes from match to match. It's always different, but it, Liverpool know a lot about their opponents and those that are easy to predict and those that have got clear, clear weak links, Liverpool usually make use of those. Just on the subject of pressing, um, Alex Absalom, uh, he asked, why do you think Liverpool's press has been so ineffective this season compared to previous years? Even with defensive injuries, uh, players seem less committed to hunting in packs and squeezing other teams. Um, yeah, I haven't got all the numbers to hand to actually confirm whether it has been a little bit less effective this year. But you know, I, I, I will say that on the whole, pressing numbers are down. Certainly from a PPDA perspective in the Premier League, and Liverpool no difference. Uh, last season they had an average of nine point three. Um, but that's a little bit higher now at 10.28 this season um, and you know that some fatigue will be playing a part um, that being said I can't think of too many examples where I thought Liverpool were really getting bypassed easily from pre- pressing situations I think Chelsea uh, did really well at Anfield a couple of weeks ago I was impressed by how they were bypassing Liverpool's kind of pressing um, but you know Beyond that, I think the, the only reason it probably looks a little bit worse or maybe it has been a little bit more ineffective is is the issues with the team. You know, the lack of settled players, uh, issues defence and the defence is key in terms of the high line. And, and, you know, the impact of the defence has meant midfielders have been in and out. And, you know, Henderson's really good at pressing. He's missed a few games. Fabinho hasn't been in there. Uh, I don't think it's one of Thiago's strongest points, and he's he's been playing a lot in that position. So just these little you know little factors all all playing a part. And as I said, it's pressing down across the across the Premier League this year. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So James Pen- James Kennehan has been in touch and says, with Liverpool being so dependent on Trent and Robbo for creation, do you think it would benefit to buy a number ten in the summer? Uh, I think for me, probably not. I don't think I'd go down that route. Um, I think Liverpool like players who can do different things and switch positions a bit like Jota. You know, Jota can play in any of the different three positions. Mane is the same. And I think number 10s in particular tend to be quite fixed. Like if you if you look at, say for example, Manchester United, Bruno Fernandes is obviously doing a lot for United to attack as a number 10. But United are quite... Not limited, but he kind of has to play there. You know, he, there's no nowhere else he can really play unless he plays kind of in a Firmino type role with split strikers either side of him. But it 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 does limit United in a tactical sense because he's so fixed in place. And number tens tend to be like that. They tend to lack a bit of pace. Number tens and they tend tend to be the types of player that you've got to carry a little bit. And I think Liverpool already have number ten types in in Firmino and Shaqiri. So um. Yeah, that's probably an avenue I wouldn't explore. I'd be more inclined to go down the route of a player who is going to find the net and he's going to be really penetrative and direct and threatening, like a, a Jota, a Harvey Barnes and players like this. Mm. Uh, Betty Noel-Jones asks, why do Liverpool seem so uh, rel- so keen to walk the ball into the goal? Why are they so so shy of shooting from outside the box? Uh, this is where I miss Coutinho so badly. 
he had the ball, uh, a clear line to shoot, and he'd, he'd take a shot, and most of the time it worked. Uh, bringing back him and Firmino together would be genius. Um, also, on the kind of same subject, um, Tom Culshaw said something very similar. Um, but he also he referenced the fact that, you know, could, could XG be playing a part and how it encourages players to create high-quality chances above all else? And, and I'd say yes, you know, uh, I know Klopp has referenced XG, might leave that for, for Josh to talk about, uh, but I know he's referenced XG, but I think uh, behind the scenes at Liverpool, things are probably a little bit more sophisticated than XG models, and they, they probably work on things such as prime shooting uh, locations on the pitch, and um, I suspect they know deep down from a statistical point of view that taking a high quantity of shots from distance won't normally, you know, be quite beneficial on your on your goal return. So, uh, although you you might have these these games where it's just not happening, you're not scoring, and you're probably sitting at home thinking, oh, why are you not just shooting from thirty yards out then if if it's not working? But what you got to remember is. Uh, teams and players are, are drilled to, to play in, with certain sequences and to, when you're in possession, put the ball into this specific area, which will lead on to the next part, and that should create opportunities. And, you know, that's you, you kind of, it's, it's kind of repetition, repetition. So I think to just throw that all out the bag mid-game mid is, is quite difficult to do. Um, so, yeah, and to answer both those questions, I think that's the main thing. That, you know, the, the idea is to create chances from prime locations and and shooting from distance isn't really isn't really a prime shooting location which is why there's maybe more reluctance to to do so and uh, just very quickly before I round up Tom I, I look forward to the barbers opening too in a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> so I've been asked by uh, Jay Sid who a uh, simple question does Henderson get into Liverpool's best field I think for me Jay right now yes Um Remains to be seen what will happen as he gets a little bit older. You know, he's obviously, I think he's over 30 now. One of the few in the squad who's over 30. But for me right now, Liverpool's best midfield is probably Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Henderson. Um, and, you know, maybe next season with Thiago being given a better surround and maybe Thiago starts staking a claim, maybe Wijnaldum leaves. You know, who knows? But right now, Henderson certainly in the midfield, yeah, for me. Yeah, he's, he's class Henderson, to be fair to him. Um, Felix Tam. Hi, Josh and Dave. Uh, we, we, we've had some really nice messages before the actual questions and I haven't gone through them all just because, you know, we don't want to be sitting there patting ourselves on the back. But, you know, this one, I'll, I'll put it in. A uh, huge fan of the pod. I'm proud to say I've been listening since day one. Fair play, Felix. Uh, my question is on our number nine. Uh, how would the team need to evolve in other departments you know, midfield, wing backs, defence. Uh, if we want to accommodate a more traditional number nine, um, rather than you know continuing to build with the system in place now, um, I guess you probably need different profiles, wouldn't you? Uh, if you think of the system now, though, to four three three, it's it's kind of resembles, I guess, maybe like a now four four two down or something with Firmino dropping in, and then the wide players kind of being like the coming more centrally as the two two danger men. So. Yeah, um, keep it brief. You know, different different profiles, I guess. Maybe the, the two wide players would be more creators than scorers and it would all be funneling towards the, 
the main man uh, who'd ever your number nine be. Uh, similar, ironically, seeing as we mentioned before, to, to kind of how Calvert-Lewin plays at Everton. Obviously, penalty box kind of finisher. Um, and everything's geared towards getting balls towards him. Yeah, just on that as well. I think Guardiola was asked how his style of play changed when he comes to Manchester compared to Bayern. And uh, I thought his, his answer was quite interesting because it, it, it's always the same style of play. It's always the same principles of play that you'll see with the Guardiola team. But he said, um, quote, if you have strikers like Lewandowski and Muller, you have to make crosses because they are so strong in the box. For Sergio Aguero, we have to find other solutions. So the way we finish the attack depends on the quality of the players. And I think that's that's generally the case for anyone who knows the stuff, really. Um, you know, you've got to feed the players, like, say, for example, Jamie Vardy. You feed Jamie Vardy, you can, with balls and behind. You feed Lewandowski with crosses. It's different, you know, based on profiles. Mm. I've got a question from um, Orlando Grana, and it says, although we cannot attribute a change in form to one change, um, in your opinion, how will Fabinho being back in a six help in other positions? So I think there's probably a number of areas that he helps. But I think for me, similar to Van Dijk and Gomez, just just having better defensive players like that who are capable specifically 1v1. Fabinho in a 1v1 with maybe Bruno Fernandes again or you know a player like that. If Fabinho is more likely to come out on top in most of his 1v1s, it just allows his teammates to just attack more. You can attack with more players. You don't need players to stay deeper to double up on certain opponents because you you win in one v one battles all the time. Like I think a few seasons ago, Liverpool played Emery's Arsenal at Anfield, and um, Emery's tactic was just basically to get everyone to defend, and he put Aubameyang and Pepe on the halfway line, and Liverpool defended Aubameyang and Pepe one v one with Gomez and Van Dijk, and Liverpool coped fine. If Liverpool had played exactly the same way with Phillips and Kabach, maybe it would have been a bit trickier because Phillips and Kabach are, are less likely to get the one-up over Aubameyang and Pepe. So I think what Fabinho just does back there is, is just allows Liverpool to obviously be better defensively, but he allows Liverpool to attack with more men. Mm. Yeah, and just, just on that answer, Michael Wall, I know you've asked something similar. Um, I'd say that probably covers the the reason why uh, Fabinho is probably you know better in the midfield. Uh, but you've also said you know um, separately, despite both centre backs arriving at the same time, Kabach has been thrust straight in, whereas Davies has been hidden entirely. Any statistical insight on why this might be? Uh, anything that shows how adaptable adaptable a player might be? Uh, I'd say that's really. Oh, Owen, thanks for your nice comments as well. Um, I'd say that's really difficult for to to point out purely, you know, quantifying numbers. Um, but my reading between the lines is, you know, Kabach is just adapting a little bit better than Davis, and, and maybe, uh, maybe Klopp's looked at him and just doesn't think he he's ready or you know, ready to play the kind of aggressive nature that the pool play, because obviously he's not just going into a settled defensive line, playing kind of routine stuff, um, defending on the edge of the box, probably defending halfway in your own half. You, you're playing quite aggressively high up the pitch and maybe he just doesn't think he's he's ready for that. Uh, so maybe we'll see him next season. So I've been asked by um, Ben 
Ahidi. Maybe I've said that wrong, I'm not sure. He says, with Gino and Alden leaving in the summer, should we be worried about the fitness of Hendo, Thiago, Fab, Ox, Keita and Millie, considering over the past three seasons they've all spent considerable lengths of time on the sidelines? It's a good point, and it's, it's arguably one album's best straight, to be honest, the fact that over the course of this this season in particular, he's been available every week. Uh, you know, sums him up. Extremely resolute player. But I think on that, I, I do think we have enough enough midfielders to always have enough good players on the field, in midfield, whether it means, you know, even if we're left to two, we can we can move to a 4-2-3-1, providing that Jota's fit and we can use a front four. Um. So, yeah, a slight concern. But Liverpool seems to be stockpiling midfielders at the minute. You know, we got Thiago in without losing Wijnaldum. Keita Jones has obviously came through. Hopefully Keita has come through the worst of it and Liverpool up onto the head of recovery over the Christmas period. Maybe he'll help. Um, Ox has came back from a, a, a bad injury in the past couple of months. So, yeah, I think Liverpool have got enough midfielders probably to get through, but... Yeah, I think if Liverpool were to lose Wijnaldum, one of the biggest things that we'd be losing would be the the availability. Uh, you know, may as well touch on that briefly now. Uh, Matt Perkins has said, you know, with the possibility of a genie leaving, um, he's another one that's been quite a few questions about, hasn't it? Um, who in Europe is closest statistically, uh, replicating what he does, and who you know be kind of feasible in the market. Um. <clears throat> You know, I, I think I couldn't really answer your point statistically. I'd have to look into that. But on this show a couple of times and on the Blood Red channel, we talk about Basuma at Brighton um, as being a kind of good candidate for, for Liverpool. Um, you know, not, not exactly like for like, but I think there's similarities in the profile, um, albeit not as strong from an attacking point of view. But he could potentially be a, a good realistic target if, uh, if Liverpool weren't interested. Yeah, um, I got asked a question from George H. He says, you've talked a lot about Liverpool's underlying numbers being good despite poor form. The similar thing happened with Dortmund in Klopp's final year. Is there any reason as to why this seems to affect Klopp teams particularly badly? And reversely, are there any teams that consistently do well despite having poor underlying numbers? Uh, interesting question. I think for the second part of your point... You can, have, you can maybe have a think about this one, Dave. Teams that consistently do well despite bad underlying numbers. Newcastle United come to mind. Obviously, they don't do well, but they don't do as badly as the numbers suggest. Burnley also, a few years ago, they were just conceding far more shots than they were facing and stuff. But obviously, they find a way to get results because although the performances aren't great, they just score from set pieces and stuff and... The shots that they do concede, there's usually about 10 men between the ball and the actual goal. Not every model considers that. Mm. Um, and Luc- Lucien Favre teams over the years have consistently overperformed XG for whatever reason. There's plenty of studies into that one. That's always been an interesting one. But in terms of Klopp, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why it's kind of affecting Klopp for the second time in in, in the past decade in terms of a really weird season to do with luck. Burnout has obviously been raised as an issue, maybe, but I'm not really that convinced on that. I just think it's... Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've got no no explanation as to why Liverpool have suddenly lost all of their centre-backs while also going extremely cold on the attacking side of things. 
and suffering from bad VAR decisions and you know really weird season. Uh, hopefully it'll come back to normal next year. Mm. I'd, I'd maybe thought Atletico opens a good maybe in that you know a, a team who kind of sit back a little bit welcome maybe lose the shot counts and stuff and uh, look at the surface like they might have lost the XG and stuff but I think a lot of that's by design so there's someone who can maybe regular, regularly overperform in terms of expected points anyway um, here's one from um, oof, sun's on my screen here uh, Rob Shihosana mm, sorry if I butchered that Rob um, <laughs> is there a chance that LFC could sign Max Ahrens for the right back position uh, as we know he that's Norwich's Max Ahrens for anyone who's uh, not familiar as we know he is versatile he can play across all back four positions and it could move Trent into midfielder when Milner leaves Um I'm not saying no to it, and he is, you know, he, he looks like he could be a good player, but I think the problem is, you know, he's a he's a player who's on the radar at many clubs. Um, I mean, they're already talking about 30 plus million for them. Um, and I just think that's quite a substantial fee for Liverpool to play for pay for someone who isn't an essential buy uh, at the time. And I think that could just be enough to put them off. Uh, I think they prefer to go and find someone who's a little bit more under the radar, probably come in a little bit cheaper. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the crux of it. I just think he's he's too well-known now. I mean, he's been getting linked with Everton, Bayern Munich, you know, loads of clubs. So, yeah, I think that one probably wouldn't happen for that basis, for that reason, sorry. Dave, an hour has absolutely flew by. Wow. Um, we, we went past the hour mark and... I think looking at my questions, I don't think I'm through half of them. So, yeah. given that Liverpool don't play until the 3rd of April, we'll probably have a spare podcast next week. So, I think the majority of the questions were probably still got enough to get through another Q&A episode. Um, mm. You know, we'll see what happens. If we, if we haven't got to your question yet, we haven't had time. We'll probably do the rest of them next week and do two Q&As because we can. Um, but yeah, if we, if we haven't got your, your question yet, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that next week if we can. Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. Cheers, everyone. And uh, yeah, be, be sure to rejoin us next week for, for the Q&A part two. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.